but there's just like a lot of changes in society where we need to really be thinking about how do we work with men and encourage them in being fathers in kind of a whole new landscape because I think things could go very poorly with men. Hi, everyone. This is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time. But with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. Hi, everybody. Thank you for checking in with the latest uh, episode here of Bear Crawl with Dads. We are here just to hear stories from fathers and how to be a better dad. And for me, just to leverage this podcast of how I can be a better dad to my son. So audience, you're lucky because you have two Houstonians that are having a conversation. And so I'm very honored to introduce my next guest, a Houstonian, Maya. Hey, Maya. Hey, Ross. How are you? Doing well, man. Awesome. Ready for this. Well, hey, I am very honored that you were willing to do this. And uh, I've been really looking forward to this because I know you, but I don't feel like I really know you. When I say there's two Houstonians on the show audience, there may be something behind the scenes because I have a feeling, Maya, that maybe you're not a Houstonian native. I'll claim Houstonian by now. It's been like 12 years. Okay. yeah, okay. I'll claim it by now. But yeah, not certainly not originally. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah, because I want to dive a little bit into that of where this mysterious Maya is from and the journey that your life has taken you. But Maya, we just want to hear from you and your story and anything that you may say tonight that may encourage a father out there, either that can is going through something that you've gone through. But that's our hope is just to know that, hey, we're not in this alone as dad, that we really do need each other. And being that my son actually turned three yesterday, I'm still learning. And, you know, these chats, I'm making notes of like, that's a great idea. I need to do that. Okay. So I'm looking forward to just to hearing your story, Maya, because rumor has it, you're a father of three. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yep. I have a 10-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son and then a two-year-old daughter. Okay. So never a dull moment. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Maya, as we start our conversation, just to give the audience some context of just you and your upbringing, tell us about you. Like, where'd you grow up? How many siblings? What does that look like? I was born in Michigan, and then my family moved to South Africa, a town called Durban on the east coast of South Africa when I was five years old. Wow. My parents worked with a Christian ministry called Youth for Christ, and I grew up out there with my two brothers, an older brother and a little brother. We moved there in 1989. I went mostly to public schools all the way through. Parents kind of raised me like a little South African kid. Back then, we didn't have as much way to keep in contact with what was going on here in the States. Okay. In fact, when we first went to South Africa, it was still apartheid and, and things were still a little bit closed off. And so, it was just kind of growing up in South Africa, American kid in South Africa. And uh, I was there until I was 18. So, wow, what an incredible journey. So real quick, let's back up the, the Michigan, because I, I feel like there's a controversy. Can you correct me? Well, do you still have family in Michigan? Yes. Okay. So are you uh, somebody from Michigan? What do you call yourself? Michiganders. The Michigander. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I just feel like I needed some clarification on that because I've yeah. several things. Well, the, the important thing to know is that, that you don't say that there's Michigan, the mainland, and then the upper peninsula. Oh, that's the wrong thing to say because Michigan is made up of two peninsulas, the upper peninsula and the lower peninsula. Okay. Well, I appreciate the heads up. Yeah. Cause yeah. next time I'm there's in Michigan, a little Michigan fact for you. That's awesome. Have you ever gone, um, ice fishing? I have not. So you, okay. No. Okay. No, I've walked out on Lake Michigan on the ice, which is really incredible. I don't yep. think you can do it every year. It depends on how cold it gets. Okay. 
but no, ice fishing, not so much. Okay. So I, I have been to Michigan. I flew into Detroit, went to Ann Arbor to see my alma mater play University of Michigan. We got the first field gold. And so we were talking a little trash. We were yeah. up three to zero, only to leave. I think maybe in the third quarter, because at that point we were down 40 something to three. So <laughs> got humbled by the Wolverines there for sure. And one of my bucket lists for, is to do the ice fishing. So I, I, I want to okay. at some point. So plenty of lakes up there to hook me up with some side. connections. So from Michigan to South Africa as a five-year-old, mm. is that fair to ask you, do you remember what that was like, that transition? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a big life change that you remember it. It was just an adventure with the whole family. You kind of had this sense of we were all in this together. It's up against the world. It was pretty wild. And one of the things I remember was our first Christmas there. It's the middle of summer and Christmas in South Africa. Okay. Southern hemisphere. So it's really hot. And I distinctly remember how like scarce the presents were that year. We just didn't have any money. And I think I got like a hula hoop and like a case of tennis balls or something like that for Christmas. And I was like, yeah, things have really changed. Life is different now. So yeah, it really was just an adventure. My dad has this kind of adventurous spirit to him. That was just part of it. And I think it all has to do with how your family kind of frames things up. Is this really hard and tough or is this a fun adventure? And for us, it was an adventure. And so as kids, I think we just kind of rolled with that. That, yeah, that's just a good point when you said frame it, right? And I, maybe as parents, how we frame things to our children is huge. Working in the world of education, how we frame things with our students. How did your parents frame this? I mean, it sounds like they were already kind of, kind of who they were, this adventurous family couple. But do you remember how they framed that? Telling you you were going to be moving across the world? Was there any intentionality um, there or... Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how intentional it was because your details when you're five are these little snapshots of just like different moments and different. I don't think you remember as much the intentional conversations and whatnot. I remember just going and doing some like different kind of wild things those first few years. One was like what in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. One, one was probably. One of the earliest memories was just a couple of weeks after we were there. We went to like this rural church that was an Indian church, Indians from India. But in, in my city, there had been Indians living in South Africa in this city for about over a hundred years, but it was this pretty rural and they were cooking a curry or biryani over this big clay pot on a fire. And that was kind of going during the church service. And then we went out there to eat. And it was really spicy. And all they had to drink was Fanta orange. And I was like, I think at that age, I was already into like spicy food, which did me well, because that was all there was to eat all day out there. Yeah, my whole family was kind of burning up. I was enjoying it, living it up and drinking warm Fanta orange. You're sweet. Um, wow. At such a young age, I have such a mature palate. Wow. Yeah. And, and that continues to this day, the, uh, uh-huh. the Indian food thing. So yeah, I mean, for for me, it was all these little snapshots. I remember there was a boat, basically an election boat about whether to end apartheid in South Africa. And that was in like 91. And I remember my dad's buddies, they all got into a pickup truck and were going around town and taking the posters, the election posters, like the referendum, vote yes, vote no. And they were taking those as like memorabilia. And... I don't know where those are, but I feel like maybe they'd be worth something these days. Maybe they're, they're fine, though. They're pretty cool. I know. Super cool. A little piece of history. Yeah. Um, what, a, what a time to be there. Early years when I was there is when basketball took off because of the dream team. And so I had this American dad and people in a lot of other parts of the world were just discovering basketball. So like that first year, like my dad was pretty good and he didn't even play basketball in high school or anything. But he was pretty good. So all of these street ball courts were going up. And then uh, my dad and his friends would enter these street ball basketball contests. 
and we would go down and watch him play. And he was actually, he was pretty decent. And then over the, a couple years after that first Barcelona Olympics, people started learning how to play and then he wasn't that great oh. anymore, but it was pretty cool. So yeah, I mean, all of that's just kind of little snapshots of like, we're going in, we're leaning into this. We're not, oh. we're not coming in like tentative. We're not going to worry about you guys keeping your kind of American this or that. It was like, we're going here and we're going to just lean into it. Whatever challenges that are here, whatever difficulties that we face, we're going to lean into it and go all in. And so, so yeah, it, it was pretty fun. I don't want to hijack the conversation because I feel like we could go the, the South Africa. What was that like to compare and contrast? And now that yeah. you're back in the States and, and if our conversation you know, dips into that, that's fine. But I guess to like, but I compare it to one of my experiences. I went to the National Outdoor Leadership School, which is based out of Lander, Wyoming. And so for three weeks, we were camping through the Absorcas and never saw one sign of civilization for three weeks. And we had to get our second round of rations. And my two leaders, one is Sarah, I still remember her after all these years, uh, when we went to go to get our ration, it wasn't there. And we had a post hole through about a three mile snowfield. It was, it was brutal. We got there. It wasn't there. Um, now we're panicking a little bit because we have to get back. Daylight was running out. So we were like, we've got to stay here for the night. We had like one sleeping bag. We had to keep the fire going. But my point is our leader, Sarah, never sweat. She never stressed. She was our rock, kind of gave us that strength that we needed because we were looking to her. And then later when the trip was over, I said, be honest, were you freaking out? She was like, I was freaking out. I couldn't let you know because then you would freak out. So she was setting the tone. So with your parents or your dad, were they that kind of for you going into this new world, if you will? Does that resonate at all? Yeah. I'd have to ask them about that. There were definitely times of that. Yeah. And there were definitely like some major family challenges. My older brother had a real tough time getting into the school deal. There was a, a second language that we had to learn. Mm. And you start right like from kindergarten. And so my brother came in and was behind and he's an incredibly smart guy. Mm. And he was not used to being behind in something. Mm. And then my parents couldn't help him because they didn't know any words in that language. There were like struggles like that where I know there's a few things that I've heard of things that they were kind of probably more nervous about things than they let on to us for sure. Yeah. And I'm sure there are more that I don't quite know about. But yeah, I'm curious to see that. Because I remember my dad too, law, with his company, something, he went through some stuff with his job. And I remember as an adult now, as an, I was like, what was it like now? I can appreciate now as an adult and having a family. I was like, what was it like for you? with all these dependents on you, was that stressful? And look, cause I didn't pick up on it. So I just didn't know with your dad moving my most prized possessions across the world, if there was kind of sustaining some of that blow for y'all. But, but what was that like zooming in a little bit uh, as far as with your father? I know you're the middle child. And I don't know if that's the typical, I, I do love sibling pecking order, but also too, like with your father, what was that relationship like? If I'm to say anything that sounds critical or negative, I mean, I just have to start out by just saying my dad's awesome. Our relationship was great. An amazing dad in so many ways. As I was thinking through some of this stuff, I'm like, how do I even be critical of a dad who was always there for me, who was present my whole life, who's just been so encouraging and supportive of me every step of the way? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just feel like I have to say that up front. It was great. I do think there's some sibling stuff. I mean, really, I was more like a youngest child because my little brother's eight years younger than me. And yep. so I was kind of like the younger child for most of growing up or for a lot of growing up. They had the kind of stereotype of they had really high expectations for him. My older brother at the beginning, looking back, they've expressed some feeling that they were too strict on him and certain things. And they had kind of cooled off on all that by the time I was coming through the toddler and, and young childhood years. So they feel some of that. And, and so I missed 
<laughs> some of that. I felt like as a kid, they had really balanced discipline. My dad did all the stuff you would expect in the newest parenting books as far as the rough and tumble play and compassionate discipline encouraged me in the things that I enjoyed. I, I grew up in a really musical family. So piano, two years of piano was mandatory. And then you could decide from there. I got oh, into sports. Okay. Yeah. It's, so I was kind of the black sheep because I wanted to play sports. And, what age, um, what age would they start y'all with music, the piano? Uh, as, as early as they could, I probably did like, yeah, six and seven years old. And then I was in the city boys choir. We were both in the boys choir number of years. Yeah. So a lot of music, okay. a lot of music around the house. So you did your two years and then, yep. you, mm-hmm. and then you're like, I'm out sports. I'm not as musical as really anybody in the family. And so I just want to play cricket, which cricket. if you don't know, if you don't know cricket, it's the bat ball sport from England that we play in South Africa as well. So I played that. I played a little rugby as well. That was kind of my thing. And I got into that and my dad got very into it and supported me all through that and really genuinely loved it. And even though it's not the most entertaining sport at times, cricket was the one I was focused on and trying to improve on it. Wow. That's that's cool. You know, there's a huge cricket. Yeah. yeah, Up here at Prairie View. Prairie View. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That guy wants to make it the biggest cricket complex in America. I think there's six fields now. He wants to make it 14. So. No offense. Is there a lot of competition? I don't know. I I know there's more cricket in like Florida and a few other places, but yeah, I love it. That's a, if I had time for another hobby, I would love to go down and just throw some balls for some of the players or something. That would be cool, but I don't have time for that. So I played cricket in Nepal. There you go. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll play sometime. Yeah. Anyway, little exposure. So, okay. So, so cricket, that was your connection. So, what did that look like though with your dad? I'm curious from a like quality time. How did you know your dad cared for you? I know it looks different from, from fathers, maybe generational, but what did that, how did you know that, man, my dad's invested, my dad cares with you? My dad wanted me to, apart from taking interest in the things that I was doing and enjoying being somebody that I could really talk to about a lot of things, talk to him about what was going on with friends. He was pretty hip dad. I did never feel like he was out of touch, like he was in such another generation that I couldn't talk about the latest. He really helped me wrestle through things. I'm remembering a time we were in the car and I would play him like new music that I was listening to show him like I wanted him to know, like this is a new band that I'm into. And I was kind of a a music listening guy. And so one day I had discovered a band called Dave Matthews Band. You know who that is, Ross. So I was playing some music and I'm not a big like lyrics guy. I don't like, I don't immediately like figure out what the lyrics are about. So the song's playing and he's like, do you know what the song's about? And I was like, no. And he was like, this song's about suicide. And then I'm, playing the lyrics through in my head and going like, oh my gosh, this really is about a suicide song. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I like embarrassed and switched the song. And he was like, no, that's fine. He was like, you don't have to not listen to it. You just need to be aware of what you're listening to. And so there was this idea of be critical in your thinking and your understanding and your learning about things, understand what you're doing, what you're putting into your mind but not like, this is too scary. Don't interact with this or you've done something wrong by listening to this. So that was something that really stuck with me as far as what I think he was trying to do in raising me in that way. Yeah. That's awesome. That's huge. What I'm hearing is there wasn't any kind of shame. There wasn't any kind of holier than thou in a sense of like, why are you listening to this? guilting you, I guess, to some degree. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you were so sensitive to you wanted to maybe change it, I think is shows such respect for your father. 
I guess, I guess too, like, how do you communicate with your child? Cause I'm curious with my son, how do you keep those, the, that, that communication open? Cause it sounds like you said you could really share with him anything. And yeah. the fact that he established such a safe place for you to want to do that, dad really created a safe place for you. And maybe he was seeking to understand. So, well, let's talk about it. This song. Yeah. Okay. That's good hearing that. How, I don't know. It sounds like how he's, he established. Is that? Yeah. I kind of, sometimes I wish there was more. I wish there was more direction from him on that. And more of him coming from his side of what he's learned about that. Being a big classic rock, 70s rock music guy that he was. It helped me a little bit more wrestle through some of those things and some of those thoughts. There was a little bit of, for some reason, in my house and with my dad, this kind of like outsourcing of important conversations, I felt like. Like he was tentative to talk about certain things, get into certain topics. And it was, well, we go to a great church. Youth pastor will talk about that or the school will figure that out or he'll figure that out by himself. And I'm not sure if that was intentional. Like he wanted to really give us our space. Sometimes I look back and go, yeah, I would have liked a little bit more from him, like to hear a little bit more of his thoughts about some of these things. A lot of it was like assumed yeah. of like, I think this is what my dad thinks and what he would approve of or not. But there was a lot of things that was, I'm going to let the church work with him on this. So there was a lot of like, that was great to have that kind of independence and I felt like I was grown up a little bit on my own, but at the same time, there was some gaps there. If I tell these stories, it'll probably sound worse than it was, but I will tell you a story about this. We went with a Christian ministry to South Africa. When I was a teenager, he became a pastor. And so all my friends, it was my dad, Pastor Skip, this American guy. So one night he was preaching a sermon on Sunday evening service. And he was talking a lot about his earlier life. And he was talking about a lot of things that he had gone through and done earlier in his life that he had never told me, including talking about drug use and stuff that he had never told me about. I was probably 15 years old. And so all my friends are like, when he's talking about this, they're looking at me and smiling at me, doing the whoa face. Wow, can't believe this. And I was just like, yeah, I didn't know any of this stuff. Over the years, I kind of was like, that's weird. And some of it's that I feel like he, he was like worried about getting emotional in front of us. And he would get emotional, like talking about some of this stuff just to the kids. So it was almost like it was easier for him to say it all in front of this group, this large group than it was just to us. Yeah, makes sense. But I feel like that's kind of an illustration of he was a little hands-off and I'm going to let you figure out this stuff. I don't want to impose my story, my... That was an interesting kind of thing that happened. The other thing that was funny was when I left for college, I came back to the States and I was very much on my own. I called my parents once a month. I had the... Back then it was these international phone cards. It was really expensive to call internationally but it was cheaper to call from the States to South Africa. So I would just call my parents like once a month and was pretty low contact. And they were always like super happy to hear from me. We'd have great conversations and everything, but things were like pretty hands-off, like surprisingly hands-off to anybody who would think about what life might be like as a pastor's kid is not what you... Not a typical PK, baby, you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, no, thank you for that. I, I think it just, again, it brings, it, it gives us context of, of you transitioning to your role as a father, right? I think sometimes now that we have kids, you're looking through a different lens and you, maybe you show a little bit more grace to your parents. Like, okay, I get it. I get it. What was the best advice? So what's something that still stands out to you that you're either your father said or that you saw him do? Yeah, he wasn't a, like a sayings person. There wasn't like something that he said over and over again. The only thing was if you complain that something hurt, like, oh, my foot hurts or something, he'd say, well, do you want me to break your finger? Because then you won't notice your foot anymore. 
used to say that all the time. As far as like sayings or something, you didn't have anything, but something I can think that he actually got from his dad. So it's kind of third generation is it's always worth spending money on a good camera. You always want good pictures. Even in our family, when we didn't have much, when he was a kid, when he didn't have much, his dad always had a good camera and they took great pictures. And, and my dad was the same. And of course, we're talking early 90s. It was the shoulder camcorder. You had to have a good camcorder for vacations. And I've carried that into today. And so I vlog family vacations. That value of capturing and especially just vacations, time off together, making the most of that time, capturing those moments, that was always a big deal. That was like a spending priority was pictures. And then the other thing I remember picking up from him was pros and cons lists. Whenever you're making a big decision, and that's just something I I still do to this day, whenever you need to make a decision, pros and cons, opportunities, threats, the four quadrant one, you can do that and it it works. It really works. Yeah, write it all out and stare at it and look at it and everything you can think of, put in those four blocks when you're making a decision. He had me do that a couple times. Okay. And, or just recommended that to me. I did it recently, a couple months ago. Yeah. Do do you and Michelle, do y'all do that together as a couple or is this? I don't think we have. I think we have a very different way of of processing those times. But for me, it really works. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay. So photography in the quadrant. Now you, Maya, as a father, you're a father of three. You said two is your youngest. What's been your greatest challenge as a father? in general? Time just goes by so fast. Mm. And you have these plans and these things that you want to do. And I have all these priorities and you're trying to like, remember the big picture. And then you're trying to, from that, bring these priorities in that you want to do. And then you look up and another month is gone. It stresses you out. It discourages you that these things that you know that you should be doing or that you really want to do that you didn't make it happen because I, I I don't know, like you're up to your eyeballs and just getting them to bed on time and, and doing all that. So there's so many things that I've wanted to focus on more in my parenting that I haven't been able to. And so I think some of that has just been trying to be patient, even like with myself and know like, even if you aren't hitting these big goals, like I want to sit down and write down this list of virtues that I want my son to have. And then we're going to like, at dinner time, we're going to go through them and we're going to read some Bible verses about them and we're going to do this. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then, you know, you look up and another three months are gone. You're like, yeah, I didn't do that. Come on. So I think that's it. It's just the time gets away from you and you feel like, Maybe there's like a temptation to kind of throw your hands up with some of that stuff instead of just saying, look, I might not be able to do everything that I hope to do, but I'm going to still going to just pick it up and do some of it. Like, I'd rather do this a little bit and do it kind of haphazardly and poorly than just throw my hands up and not do it all together because I haven't been doing it the way that I had hoped. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also too, it's just like, give yourself some grace. Like the fact that you're even acknowledging that, you're self-aware of that. I think there's a lot. I want to do that. I want to do that, but I, I haven't been able to. And I think that's for everybody, right? Just life gets in the way of life. And so how can you, I guess, live with such more of an, an intentional purpose, I guess, for some of those milestones maybe that you want to do with your, your child. So all of a sudden five years down the road, now you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't do anything. But but it's not like too that you're present, you're there, you're active in your kids' lives. So it's like maybe show yourself a little grace. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think like those little moments and just being there and grabbing hold of your kids, looking them in the eye, talking to them about their day, when they're excited about something, giving them your full attention and hearing about it, asking questions, that's stuff you can do even if things are busy. Right. And that's 90% of it, right? To me, if you can do all that, you're an excellent dad. So the other 10% of these like 
amazing plans that you have to celebrate different milestones in their lives and teach them these lessons. That's cream on top. I'm preaching to myself here because I can get annoyed with myself for falling through on some of those things. And I need to remember it is those little day-to-day things that's like, that's the run and butter of parenting, I think. Well, it's so true. I feel like with some of the guests that I've had, one thing that has popped up a lot is how time flies. You said that it's just like mm-hmm. you blink, boom, your oldest is going to be driving or blink. Your boy just turns three and how precious that time is. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. The time factor. Does your family specifically though have any neat family traditions or anything that's really unique to your family as far as some quality time, whether it's trips or game nights that y'all do? Yeah. My family has some traditions. I think family traditions for me was a big deal. Our Christmas traditions are a pretty big deal, like all of our holiday stuff. We have a meal. My grandfather went to Europe way back before I was born and learned about this cheese meal from Switzerland called raclette. And that's been a family tradition and something that we continue to this day. It's like a fondue type meal. Okay. So yes, that's a big deal. Thanksgiving is very traditional. We have a lot of quirky, funny traditions, like the men make the turkey stuffing, Midwest style turkey stuffing. And there's a lot of jokes that get told every year at the same time. And we're now bringing the young kids into those traditions and teaching them all of that stuff, which is great. So yeah, that's important to me. That's not something my wife had as much growing up. And so she's really enjoyed that of seeing those traditions. And then also we, I picked this up somewhere, but somebody was saying, ask your kids, what do they like about your family? And so that's something that I'll ask my kids periodically and just say, because when I think about what traditions do we make or what things do we prioritize, I'm interested in what do my kids already like about us. I've been wanting to make them aware of our family and like that families can do things differently. That's a cool thing. They have talked about our vacations. We tend to be like, pretty adventurous and we do some crazy things with vacations and they really like that. So then when we plan other things, we're bringing them in and saying, you're a part of this family, you have responsibility in it and you have, you're part of creating like what this family is. They have some say? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah. And because of that, like we talk to them about vacations and get not necessarily like they have an equal vote, but it's like, we want to hear your opinions on this about this or this and as far as what's a higher priority that there's a pool or that there's you know hiking out the back door stuff like that so yeah we talk about all that kind of stuff and then i also try to teach them about our family as far as like rules and like what i've talked to them about is i've said guys we're gonna have some rules that are stricter than some of your friends And we're going to have some that are actually less strict than some of your friends. And then I said, which rules do you think we're going to be more strict on? And my daughter says, technology and screens. And I was like, yes, correct. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, get used to it because we're probably going to be more strict on that. But then there are other things that we're a little bit less strict on. Like we're cooler for them going by themselves to the park a little bit younger than a lot of the families around us. And so we're explaining to them as you're more reliable and dependable, you're going to get more freedom to do some of these things, but our family's going to operate different than other families. And that's going to be in our traditions and just the way we do things and kind of the rules that we have as well. My, I like that again, going back to, we talked about this, but you're intentional, you're front loading to some degree. And I like that. I haven't heard that yet. As far as just so you know, heads up more anal in this area, maybe not in this area. I think it's really, really cool. You tell them why. Yeah. It's like, Hey, why those gonna, rules are different technology. We're going to be a little bit more anal down to the park. Maybe not as much, but here's yeah. why. I probably don't get into it into too much detail 
I think maybe there's little side comments, but you know, like, I mean, personally, I think I'm kind of influenced by the free range parenting kind of side of things. I think we're more uptight about kidnappings and stuff than if we really need to be. Yeah, nobody get on my case about that. But I don't need to tell her like, well, actually, people have been watching 60 Minutes too much and these are the real statistics on kidnappings and blah, blah, blah. I don't need to tell her that. She can just pick up little things here and there. When we say like, hey, we're not doing screens or we're not doing TV and my son tells me that he's bored, I'll say, that's great. That's why we don't do TV all the time because when you get bored, that's what sparks creativity. So if you never get bored, you'll never think to do something new or try something new. So I kind of will plant it in here or there, but I don't think I, when I say those rules, I don't sit down and talk about the dangers of social media or relative to other things. I just kind of, kind of lay it down. And yeah. Just, I think they're picking it up. I think that they, especially my daughter at 10, she understands some of the reasons of that. And okay. Yeah, there hasn't been too much arguing. There's arguing sometimes when, you know, you're, when you say like, hey, we're done, we need to put stuff away now or turn that off. But when we explain, when we sit down and tell them like, hey, this is how it is in our family, there's no argument about that. I think kids do, they want that kind of stuff. And our kids seem to like that intentionality. In the moment, it's harder. Telling a kid to turn something off is harder. So really... It's those other times where it's not in the moment that you're talking about it that they get it more. Well, and it's just, you know, I want to go back to what you said about your father earlier. You wish that you knew where he stood on some things, if that's fair. And it's not like with your children, maybe you are saying yeah. kind of our stances on things. I have that same proclivity as my dad. And so I have to fight against it. Like, I think in my default, I want to do the exact same thing as him. And I, mm. I do feel like I'm fighting that too, to try to be more hands-on about some of those things. I think I, I need to still work on it. The other thing is my wife's a therapist and she's a child mental health therapist. So she's just so brilliant. She's taught me so much about parenting, all that on the discipline side of things, understanding the kids' emotions. I mean... It's really amazing. I've been so blessed by that. So most of the good stuff I have is really from her and everything that she's learned and does and helps parents with day in and day out. Yep. So there is also like a little bit of she's not afraid to jump into any conversation, talk about anything, which could be good for me because she's going to help me do that as well. It could also be a thing where I kind of delegate that stuff to her. And so I have to watch out for that and make sure I'm being as intentional about those conversations as I really want to be. I grew up in the church too, and I felt like there was a lot of like taboo topics that we that maybe weren't talked about. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why didn't we? Because mm -hmm. I feel like there was a sense of, felt like if we talk about sex, they're going to go do it. If we talk about secular music, they're going to go listen to it. So let's not mm -hmm. talk about it. If we talk about the denomination that I grew up in, if we talk about other denominations, they're going to leave ours and go to theirs. So let's not talk. Mm. So I was like, what? If you don't talk about it, well, we're going to be curious. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So I, yeah. I, I think there's that part of me too, though. Like, and we'll see. I'm not saying I'm talking all this trash now. And then now when my kid becomes like a preteen, <laughs> so then let's sit on the, just talk about the birds and the bees. But I feel like part of me is like, no, I want to go there. Let's talk about it. I'd rather, yeah. you know, for me, to your point about your father, here's where we stand. Here's our biblical worldview. And through that yeah. lens, here's where we stand with the family. Now, I want yeah. to be your own. You are your own person. For sure. For me growing up, it wasn't like things were super taboo. It was just like, uh, it was more like, as I said, we're just going to kind of outsource this for other people to deal with. We're going to trust that your youth pastor is talking to you about this stuff. That's not really how it is in our house. We already have like the puberty book for the kids and we're ready to delve into those kind of topics. And Go. of course, with my wife on the birds and bees stuff for the kids appropriate stuff for the smaller kids, which is a lot more about 
boundaries with their bodies, teaching them that your mom and dad are okay with you having boundaries with your body for other people, because that's where kids can get in trouble and be victimized is because they feel like they can't tell anybody what to do. They can't tell an adult where their boundaries are because mom and dad will be mad. Because of my wife, we have an awareness of all that kind of stuff. So we've mm-hmm. been able to teach our kids about their bodies, about what do you do when you something's uncomfortable for you. Yeah, none of that stuff's been super difficult so far. So the stereotype of the sex talk is it happens once when they're 14 or something like And it's like, no, it happened. There's about 10 different sex talks. And the first one is when they're two years old. That's really just about what's under your swimsuit. Nobody gets to touch that. You tell everybody no. And then there's three more talks before middle school, before puberty. And then there's a couple more after that. So yeah, it's a huge topic. Yeah. We, Who knew? In, our, in our minds, we have this, like this one thing and it's yeah. like, and really that, that puts so much pressure on it. It's like, well, it's this one talk that you do with your kids and I better not mess it up. Mm-hmm. And really, no, it's, I say 10, but it could be little things here and there. It could be many more than that. Or like we say, you don't use euphemisms for body parts. We just say what they're called mm-hmm. because it is that helps it is. there to be less taboo around it and less shame if something were to happen to them that they feel like they can talk about it. That definitely could be another episode and yeah. you have my, yeah. my wife here. It wouldn't be talking yeah. to me about it. Again, that's why I love about these conversations because you never know where it's going to take us and did not. When I get nervous, I get really honest. So who knows where it will go. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've ever talking to my dad about that. He's like, Ross, you don't remember that conversation? He's like, I don't. I don't. Oh, okay. Like, wow, well. And I think to pivot a little bit, but through some of the guests that I've had, the topic of, now your children, they're not 13 yet, right? And so mm-hmm. I guess in our traditions and here this, in the States, 13 is that we become of age, whether it's a Batman, mm-hmm. uh, whatever type thing is that cross into adulthood or something like that. Why 13? I don't know. So several guests have talked about like when the child turns 13 or 14, maybe the father will take their son on a weekend trip or to take their daughter out on whatever. That's when they would have that talk. So kind of like to your point, it doesn't need to be this go get away weekend and read a book and talk about it together. It sounds like there's several conversations before they turn 13, 14. If you listen to some of the podcasts, I am fascinated with those rites of passage mm-hmm. traditions. And what families do. I remember I met John Eldred's Wild and Hard guy before mm-hmm. the book came out. I met him. He yeah. did, actually, he did my, one of my best buddies' wedding. And I was like, John Eldredge, oh my gosh. But how that book, whether you like him or don't, the book or not, that thought of doing something with your child as they transition into adulthood, right? Have you thought about anything like that with your kids? Is yeah. That- yeah, John Eldredge, some people really like him because he's good. And then some people really don't like him because he's right too. Do you know who John Tyson is? He's also written a book recently called Intentional Father within the last like six years or so. He's definitely a rites of passage guide and goes through stuff with his son. And actually at I think 18, so I think it was after high school, they hiked the Camino Santiago, the the Spanish pilgrimage trail. They hiked that together at 18. And so that was a big one. And he goes through in that book just a lot about how he intentionally fathered his son. And the son has some input on that as well, on that book. So you're going through that Um, in preparation? I'm just saying that to say, I've been thinking about that as well. And and my wife and I have talked about that. And we haven't really landed on like, what ages are we going to do this? Like we're thinking maybe there's going to be a trip for mom with the daughters and me with our son gotcha. at some point. We haven't really landed on something. And I would like to make that intentional in a lot of things as kind of things to teach. And then, you know, also my dad was reasonably handy and didn't teach me anything. So I'm not handy at all. But anything that I can do now, I'm like, some dads are great at this. Like, especially like the not emotional dads <laughs> are so good with like, teaching handy stuff. And so when I've got to go to Lowe's, it's like, I could go by myself. That'd be easier. 
but I can take my boy with me. And just having those day-to-day experiences out with your kids, let them see how you act in public, how you treat people, deal with different challenges and that sort of thing. Like activities that aren't about them, but they are just about normal life. They're coming along for normal life as opposed to like, hey, I'm taking you to your scout meeting or your baseball practice. I think all that stuff is significant. So I think about that as like the day-to-day. Rites of passage, man, I don't know if we have time tonight, but let's talk about it another time because I want to hear what you're thinking too. Yeah, no, 100%. That and heirlooms. I'm really fascinated with heirlooms Mm -hmm. on on a side note. But my grandfather, every time we would go visit them, I always slept in a guest bedroom under his. So he grew up in, you know, rural Mississippi, uh, blue collar, rode, you know, a horseback and just to get around in his, in the guest bedroom was his shotgun and rifle that he grew up with. And I was just fascinated by that. And to me, Mm -hmm. it it was, that was that link to him and his past. Mm -hmm. But through, I think, honestly, I think granddad, when he passed, I think he just got rid of it, but we can't find it. And that's like the one thing that I selfishly wanted as a physical connection with my grandfather. And my dad has his dad's, he worked for Georgia Power Light, the blue collar, you're going up telephone poles. And my, my dad has his tool belt in his garage as a physical connection to his father. So I'm fascinated with the heirlooms, even though I'm even thinking like, what would be that tangible something to pass down to my son? I think about that too. Like family heritage is, is awesome and it's empowering for kids. I don't know my great grandparents' names well, and I don't know their stories very well. And I'm the one who's like most interested in that stuff. I'm kind of with my grandma, who's 97. I'm like inheriting ancestry.com accounts yeah. and everything. And yeah. so I'm trying to learn, but heirlooms are a great way to do that because even if you don't know everything, you've got this one piece and you'll remember the story behind that because you have it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's interesting. In the rites of passage, is I think those are mm-hmm. just fascinating topics to kind of just explore. That's what I love hearing about you again with guests and kind of what they're thinking. Have you heard the book and I've referenced this in several shows, Raising a Modern Day Night? Nope. Yeah, check it out. At that I grew up out of Little Rock, a good buddy of mine, friends with them, but it's called Raising a Modern Day Night and it compares it to becoming a, a knight and you go through the various stages. Part of that ritual is some of them will actually take it where, let's say with your son, when he'd like to run at that age, you surround him with men some even actually create a crest, you know, for him and they'll, you'll do like a dinner or something and these men will gather around your son. So not only, Hey, not only me as your father, but also to this group mm-hmm. of men are, are going to keep you accountable. It's going to check out as far as mm-hmm. the rite of passage. I said, I got to, to meet your dad. Ironically, he is a hit man with that beard. It was awesome. <laughs> what would you tell your dad? You know, now that you're a father. This one's impossible because I could go and do it right now, right? I could go and talk to him and I probably should. The stuff we've been talking about, I don't think there's anything to tell my dad or, yeah, or ask him. Some of the stuff we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I don't think that I've, I think I have maybe brought up some of these topics a little bit. I don't think I've really got good kind of explanations from him of what he was thinking his goals were and some of that. So I mean, really, yeah, it would be a cool conversation, but really, yeah, I don't have anything to tell him. I'm going to allude this to, there's a, this story, a famous, he's a famous author. This teacher, he was really struck, I guess, bored in class, and, but the teacher saw something in him, put him off to the side of the back of the classroom and let him just run literature-wise. And he's this famous author now, but he, mm. his first book, he dedicated his first book to this teacher and he came back, surprised her at school, she was about this close to just re- done retiring because she just the, the new crop of kids. She wasn't feeling like she was making a difference. She was about to give up. And so he basically showed up at the classroom and said, I wrote this book for you. It's dedicated to you because you saw mm-hmm. value in me, Ridge Rector. So mm-hmm. the fact that he went back and told her how much she meant to him. So I guess sometimes we go, but we don't ever stop to say, hey, dad. I mean, of course, I'm so thankful to my dad and thankful to my parents 
I owe everything to them. And specifically around parenting and being a parent, I'm hitting uh, 40 next year. And I remember my dad's 40th birthday. He seemed so old back then. I don't feel as old as I thought my dad was at 40. And so, that, yeah, there is that feeling of like, wow, okay, I remember where we were in life at that point when he hit my age. And yeah, it really kind of, it gets you thinking, right? My fathers, they were just here for my son's birthday. But I think the, the older they get, the older you are, it just makes it more that you still know when you don't want to take advantage of, of them being here because you never know. And like, we just mm-hmm. lost my, my uncle this past week. My uncle just passed away. My dad's brother rapidly. He went in for one thing, everybody kind of rolling along and then boom, two weeks he's out. Like what? It's so, but we know where he is, but I'll say the shock of how fast it went. Mm-hmm. So you just never know. So I guess living that life of intentionality of, mm-hmm. I just need you to know more than anything, father, how much I get it now, or I, I appreciate it more now that I am and mm-hmm. who you are in my life. I guess you don't want to take that for granted. And even like you're saying with your children, just what are those things to, to live you want to do to be more intentional about it? So that's been like this last week or two with all that with me personally. With that though, what do you see as some of the, maybe the biggest challenge facing dads today? One thing I've, I'm noticing with dads is this feeling of always being one step behind on the technology thing, how to navigate that. I mean, a lot of dads feel like really clueless. They want to be intentional with how they're monitoring things like social media, but then parents, they also don't want their kids to feel left out of things and they feel really lost in how to set any kind of boundaries because they just, everything's different and they just don't don't know what they don't know. So yeah, I think that's a big felt need of dads. I think we're entering a, I could talk on a really macro level. This is just like something that's on my mind that I don't have conversations about it. So what better place than just throw it out on a podcast? You know, we're entering a place now where there's a lot more dads and if men are going to become fathers more and more into these coming years where mom is going to be making more money than dad and where dad's not going to be the primary breadwinner, which is just, it's a whole new thing for our society. Like we've never done this before. We went from homesteading where dad had a very much a protective role, manual labor role. Mom and dad worked in the house. Then we had industrial revolution where the man is making all the money. Mom is keeping the, in charge of the house. He's in charge of the money. She's in charge of the house. That's the role. And we've been doing that for a couple hundred years, maybe. And now we're going to potentially where mom could be making more money than dad. 60% of college graduates this year will be women and 40% will be men. That's changing all the time. So I'm in a family like that where mom makes more than dad. And that's a discussion we're not having is what is the role of a dad at that point where we were used to in the generation before us, this was not a common thing. And it's going to be a more and more common thing, like it or not, or whatever you think about that. If we want men to be good dads, have kids and be good dads, we're going to have to talk about that. What is the role of men and fathers in society with some of those changes that are going on? So that's something that I'm kind of interested in thinking about. If I look on kind of like the online side of things, we had a kids thing this last summer at our church called Summer Celebration for all the kids. And there are fifth graders talking about Andrew Tate. They know who Andrew Tate is. They watch his videos. Wow. He's got the manosphere stuff, the objectification of a woman online. It sounds to me like from some of the younger adults that I work with that the dating scene is just an absolute mess. And so I don't know where all of that's coming from, but there's just like a lot of changes in society where we need to really be thinking about how do we work with men and encourage them in being fathers 
in kind of a whole new landscape because I think things could go very poorly with men in the coming years if we're not thinking about some of these things. Yeah, that's a lot. I'm just going to leave that for people to think about as they go. I know, I in my brain, as I'm taking it, like, which one do I want to bite on? <laughs> Technology. And- but, and, but you've seen that, that struggle with men's, like, role in society. And I don't want to, like, beat down on anybody, but, you know, there's the future is female t-shirts and there's the talk about toxic masculinity and some of that's fine and I know what they're reacting to and I know the horrible things that they're reacting to but we have to be thinking about like what is a man's role now in the society that we have and what is their role as fathers as well like how are they going to be role models for their kids in this new environment that's just something that I'm interested in discussing more with young fathers, like coming into the future and seeing if we can have some more like shrank open dialogue about some of this stuff. Well, Maya, maybe this, our conversation spawns or ignites that in our orbit here in sure. Houston. I asked the question, what is that greatest challenge? And I think that's what you're seeing is what does it mean to be a father and, or a dad? Mm-hmm. It'll get back a little bit to your worldview. What is your worldview? You, yeah, I feel like you need to identify what that worldview is and let that be the lens where everything runs through. What is your North Star? If you don't have a worldview and if you don't have that North Star, then you're, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess like, so some of this might be like my concern being for young men who are not yet fathers and thinking about how do we encourage them that they can do that and they can be a father and how to do that kind of like looking into the future there a little bit. But I think there's some of that even now for dads who already have kids, some things that I'm thinking about. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. And thank you for that. So my last question is even kind of piggyback on that conversation. Is there something that you want to share that through our conversation or leading into this podcast that you do want to share? Or how could you encourage fathers out there in general, wherever walk in life they are, So those two, you can choose. I mean, I just think as an encouragement, every kid is a blessing. Every child is a blessing for the world. I think there's something in society around like kids are a consumer product or they're like a choice, which there's a point to where that's true. We know how babies are made and we know how they come in or not. We made those choices to have them. I think that if we, we just leave it at that, there's a much deeper aspect to that. They are, and as Christians, you and I, they're a gift from God. But these kids are a blessing. They're not for our self-fulfillment. They're something that are given to a gift to us to, to steward in this world and then to be their own selves and make their own way. And they're given to us for a time. The majority of the time they spend with us, the statistic that's they're saying is 91% of the time they'll spend with you is from zero to 18. You have this little bit of time with your kids. So just go for it and see them as fully human, a gift, a blessing. They're not just for our self-fulfillment. They are their own beings. They are their own mm-hmm. wonderful human beings. We just get to journey and be alongside with them. And we're their most important humans. And that's another thing I would say to dads who have teenagers is something that I've seen is parents are freaking out that they think, well, the internet just owns my kids on screen, loves video games or just loves this to that, or their friends are more important to them now that I am. No, you are their most important humans and you have a bigger influence as parents than anyone else. And you will definitely as long as they live in your home. So don't feel like you're a sideshow. Get in there and and be part of it and enjoy it. No, thank you, Brian. I think what I'm hearing too is show grace to yourself. You feel like you've made a lot of mistakes or it's too late or man, they're 11 or 12. It's not too late to give yourself some grace and just show up, just be present of anything. Because you're right. I mean, parents are the most important thing to the child, no matter what they're saying or doing or acting. We know kids talking back in their past, even a not very good parent is still 
the most important person or even yeah. a totally absent parent can have a huge impact on a kid's life. Some, somebody that they hardly knew. So just a, a good parent, just a, mm. a decent, engaged parent, not a superstar, just an engaged parent. We undersell how, how much of a big impact that is and how more important it is than any other relationship that they have. 100%. Well, Maya, you are a blessing to your children and obviously to your wife. You're walking it, you're living it. Uh, they're lucky to have you. And so just our time together, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know just with your busy life to carve out a couple of hours is very rare and special. So thank you for doing that. I've learned some things from you, even in, in our conversation, impacting me on how I can strive to be a better father to my children. So thank you. Thanks, Ross. I just really appreciate your curiosity just to be able to want to ask so many people these questions and get into their lives. It's the most underrated virtue, curiosity. It's rare these days. So I really appreciate that you and you, man. And so audience, obviously, I'm going to have in the show notes, the links to Maya and some of the books that we referenced. So feel free to check those out for sure. So again, Maya, thank you, man. I appreciate you. Great. Thanks, Ross. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother, C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.